Hey, you are listening to The Workplace Theater. This is the podcast where we go behind the scenes of corporate real estate, talking to industry experts about how they shape the next generation workplace. I'm your host, Sabine M. And in today's episode, I'm speaking with Mikko Lingbo Nielsen. Mikko is head of group real estate at Ericsson. Hi, everyone. Today, I'm speaking with Mikkel Lingbo-Nielsen. I do hope that I pronounced that correctly. Yes, you <laughs> he's, do. yes. He's smiling. Okay, so seems I did. I'm very happy to have this conversation. Mikkel, let's start with what your current role is and maybe a bit of what your professional background and your journey to this role has been. Sure. Yeah, but my name is Mikkel and you pronounced it uh, quite well, Sabine. So uh, thank you thank for you. the introduction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm Chief Real Estate Officer at Ericsson and I joined in April last year. So uh, just a month after the, the pandemic. Uh, so I've actually been working from home uh, ever since. Quite interesting when you are globally responsible for offices, right? And uh, I have been in an office uh, once to pick up my laptop and that's more or it. But prior to EX, and, uh, I was the global head of real estate at Maersk. And uh, I had various roles within Maersk uh, um, and I've, I was there for five years. But my background is, you can say, within finance and, and strategy management. So I have worked as a management consultant for a number of years uh, prior to kind of joining the wonderful world of real estate. And then uh, I have worked a little bit in, in various different roles uh, within real estate as well, from doing a development of airports, uh, urban planning, and so on, a larger infrastructure projects as well. Prior to Maersk, I was with uh, Copenhagen Airports, uh, where we were working on the expansion of the airport. Uh, so kind of a very different roles within real estate, but I think that's sometimes an advantage that you have actually seen a little bit uh, different angles and perspectives. So so uh, that has kind of led me to where I am today. And then you can say within the X, and I also have the pleasure of uh, looking a little bit into the future. So I'm also leading a cross-functional team. I think we are roughly around 50 people uh, right now working on kind of defining what the future should be. And here it is very cross-functional. So meaning that it's not only from a real estate perspective, it's also from new ways of working, the HR angle, but also especially the IT angle as well. So um, quite an interesting uh, journey ahead of us as well. Yes, I need to pick on that one thing that you mentioned that you've joined and haven't been in an office at all. So before you signed up for becoming the head of real estate at Ericsson, you didn't even know what the offices looked like. No, you can say I had a few interviews in uh, in our headquarter, but that was before the pandemic. I accepted the job in December 2019. And then I was actually, I had a few months of parental leave before I joined Exxon. And you can say I, I spent a little bit of the time there to kind of prepare a little bit for the new role. Uh, before the pandemic, again, I have to stress, um, uh, how can we really balance, of course, all the dilemmas that we see within corporate real estate with cost and creating an experience and everything around it. So that I, I focused a lot on. And then in March, just a month before I joined, COVID uh, came and kind of forced us to work from home, right? And that has changed completely. You can say all my preparation for the new role and what I've, I actually imagined that it would be, right? Uh, but for good and for bad, I think yeah, I'm, of course, missing very much to meet and socialize a lot with my new colleagues. Uh, on the other hand, I think we have also become even closer uh, somehow, right? Because I have met pets and their families and I have been more or less invited into their living room or, or office or wherever they're working from uh, under these circumstances. So I think we have also shared a little bit more uh, of ourselves the last, what, 14 months. That's positive, but I'm also missing to meet my new colleagues in, in, in real life. 
So that's still outstanding. That's that still will outstanding, yeah. that will be a big party of everybody. It will be. I hope uh, it will be a big party, and I hope we can almost uh, go back and hug each other and so on. Uh, oh yeah. True. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, I've been back to the office. I haven't hugged anyone. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> no. no. Okay, let's come back to more serious matters. How big is Ericsson's real estate portfolio? Yeah, you can say it's very defined about how big Ericsson is as a company. You can say we have 100,000 employees. We have 110,000 uh, users uh, with external staff and so on uh, in average. So that is, and then we are present in 180 uh, countries uh, where we are operating. So you can say we are quite global uh, in, in that matter, uh, only a few countries where we're not present. And that, of course, also reflected a little bit our office portfolio. A lot of smaller offices, a huge tail, you can say, with a lot of uh, global presence. And then uh, we also have factories and so on. So in total, we're operating uh, roughly around 2.5 million uh, square meters of real estate in various different locations. That's quite some portfolio. <laughs> it is, it is, and it, it varies quite a lot. And I know that that's, of course, the case within most companies, at least with this size, right? But from factories to sales offices uh, to R&D sites, uh, almost half of the workforce within the Exxon uh, works within R&D and in uh, engineering. So that is, of course, a complete different way of working compared to a sales office or a factory and so on. So quite different needs and requirements also from the business. And that's, of course, also reflected in our you just mentioned prior to actually joining, you had already spent some thinking time on how corporate real estate should tackle challenges. And what I'd be curious is how is the CRE team set up on the one hand? And on the other, who is involved in the decision making around the workplace? Yeah, we have a strong mandate. Uh, I report into the CFO, and I think in many cases that actually support corporate real estate uh, to have that uh, strong mandate. Uh, but we own budget, we have P&L responsible, so therefore we also take the decisions. But we take the decisions together with the business, and I think that's actually a good balance when we talk about decision-making, at least, because we are here to support the business first and foremost. And and therefore, I think uh, we don't always, of course, uh, agree 100%, but I think we are making each other better, to be honest. And I think we are making our portfolio and our services and everything we deliver a lot better. But you can say we, we have uh, around 150 uh, in-house employees in real estate. Of course, the majority uh, work in, in, in our geographies. And then we also have a number of staff working on more strategic level. We have seen a movement, you can say, or a transformation over the past five years from being more operational to be more tactical and more strategic. So the 150 in-house staff is actually quite senior and quite strategic in the sense. And that is, of course, enabled by a more outsourced model where we have our world, so to say, or our portfolio divided into four geographies, Americas, EMEA, and APEC. And then we also have Sweden, since we have quite a footprint in, in Sweden. And that's where we have a complete outsourced model within our facility management setup. So we have a quite outsourced model, and then we have an in-house team of 150 that are operating our portfolio and delivering everything from services to transactions to design and, and everything around innovation and so on. So um, yeah, a fairly mature setup, but of course also 
changed a little bit in past year. We did a reorg recently here, 1st of March. And that was, of course, when we actually looked a little bit ahead and say, okay, where is real estate going in the coming next five years? Uh, what is our strategy? And we launched our new 2025 uh, strategy where we'd like to position ourselves and the portfolio and everything. And there we could actually see that with the great ambitions that we have uh, for the future, uh, then we also needed the right setup and structure to kind of make sure that we can also uh, deliver on those promises. Now, of course, you have me hooked on that new real estate strategy for 2025, because you mentioned prior to you joining, prior to the pandemic, there had already been the focus of marrying like the two important things, employee experience and cost efficiencies. How has this changed now? You can say we, we of course, uh, we are here again to support the business, right? So that also means that the strategy of the business needs to be reflected in how we actually operate uh, our portfolio and, and real estate. And you can say in 2016, Ericsson launched a new strategy, a complete transformation. It was not necessarily out of a new opportunity. It was actually because we needed to transform to survive, to be a little bit square here. And uh, that, of course, uh, put a lot of pressure on actually uh, driving a very efficient portfolio and a very efficient company that would allow us, again, to grow as a company. So uh, a lot of uh, efficiency uh, activities uh, taking place. And of course, also within real estate. So it actually meant that before I joined, there was a lot of focus on really making sure that we had a very efficient portfolio and that we operated extremely efficiently. Then you can say Ericsson is now on the other end of the transformation. We have had a successful transformation. We're looking a little bit ahead. We are the tech leader within 5G and networks and so on. So we are growing the company again and that, of course, also means that the strategy of the office uh, has changed since 2016 because now we are becoming a growth company again. And that, of course, also means that we are looking at the portfolio slightly different, right? Of course, we will always make sure that we have an efficient portfolio because that's our license to operate at the end of the day. But you can also say with the, the activities that has taken place, I think we had a we have an average square meter per person of roughly around 12 square meter. So in my preparation and so on, it was also fairly difficult to say, okay, can we just squeeze it even more right because we have actually done a lot of efficiencies so you can say before i joined it was very much around how can we balance this dilemma around having a very cost efficient setup but at the same time we're also competing against talent against some of the tech giants right so how can we make sure that we also have a workplace that is supporting and attracting and retaining our top talent that is going to be key in order for us to maintain our position in the market so that is, of course, uh, the, the focus I had also before I joined. But it was the dilemma there was how can we make sure that we continue a very efficient portfolio and at the same time, we also want to create better services and better experiences. And then that's maybe the opportunity here that uh, with COVID, although a, a strategy, of course, but a new way of working can actually allow for quite a different footprint and a quite different experience when you go into the office. So when COVID came around, uh, and that's also why we have 50 people uh, working on this, representing real estate, IT, and, and HR, and of course, also the business, because it is a, a great opportunity. And we, of course, did a lot of research to really understand what are the needs and requirements of our users, uh, what would they like the future to be, how do they imagine a, a day in their life, and so on. And there we, we were actually supported that and could see that, okay, we will actually change our way of working in the future. And what does that actually mean to the office and the workplace and the experience that we're looking into? And that's, of course, also well reflected in the strategy that you ask about, Sabine, in, in 2025, where what kind of role will the office actually play in the future? What services will we deliver? How much will we actually be in the office? How do we make it attractive? Because now we also enjoy to be home somehow and not necessarily have a long commute back and forth and so on, right? So a lot of new questions kind of emerged with COVID-19 and 
we don't have all the answers, but I think we have done at least a little bit of research to understand it during the past, what, 14 months. I think no one has the answer yet. Just this morning, I read an article around CoStar, a real estate data company, who are trying to lure employees back to the office by having a prize draw each morning for the people who are on site. So <laughs> I found that quite funny, I have to say. But I think as well is that workplace experience is not tied anymore strictly to the office, the physical office that you're providing, but it's more this flexibility and workplace choice that you allow with it very much. I very much agree. And, and we also saw a little bit of a need and say, okay, we have focused a lot around workplace experience in the past, but what is the workplace actually going to be in the future, right? It will not just be the, the office, it will be office, home, and potentially also third, uh, third places, right? And we actually decided quite early on that why look at it only from a workplace experience? Why not try to broaden it a little bit and actually say, what is the user experience? And the user experience is actually every time you kind of engage with the company, every time you go into the office or every time you do everything, right? That goes across HR, people, culture, IT, and real estate. And if we have that as an offset to actually defining our future needs and what the future offices and so on should be, then if we actually anchor that in a user experience and not only a workplace experience or IT experience or digital experience, but what actually, if we look at it, completely across and say, what is the user experience? And that will be our focus, you can say. And that also means that now I mentioned the reorg, that of course we need to work a lot closer with IT. We need to work a lot closer with, with HR. We're almost forming, you can say, and that's at least how I look at it. We're, we're actually creating communities. So we are almost creating virtual organizations that actually goes across real estate, IT and HR, because we need to work together. And I think what we have at least experienced, and again, we don't have the silver bullet and all the answers for the future here, but we can actually see how much we can lift when we work together, IT, real estate, and HR, and how much impact we can actually create for the user experience and not just the workplace experience, but the entire. And maybe just a little bit of a low practical example, you can say uh, from the past, in real estate, we often own the meeting room, for instance, right? IT owns the equipment. And if anything is malfunctioning, you as an employee actually need to figure out, oh, is it real estate or is it IT or where is the help that's going to connect the help in this matter? We want to go a little bit away from that way of thinking, right? They just need support and then we need in the back end to figure out whether that is real estate or IT. But we need as a company and as support functions to actually support the user experience. This was a quite low practical example, but it's at least the way of thinking that we need to change, I believe. I think that's quite powerful to change this little thing and just by that mirroring to your users, we've got you. Don't worry about that stuff. You call that number or whatever and we'll sort the rest out. So I think that's really good. I also liked very much in the beginning when you said we have 100,000 employees, but actually 120,000 users because externals use the space as well. And I think that's so very true for a lot of organizations. It's not only the own employees but it's also then customers who are coming in and third-party service providers that are consuming that same experience. 
very much agree. And they all uh, brag about uh, having a square meter usage of what, five square meter per person or something like that. But that's because they occupy our space, right? <laughs> in many cases, at least. Uh, so uh, so that would be lovely just to have somewhere to send your employees, right? But you're very much right. And we actually also said, and that's maybe something that is not always discussed because of course, and rightfully, the focus has been around the user ex- or the employee experience. But what the user experience is actually something more, right? That's also what is the experience when you come in as a customer. How are you actually welcomed into the space? What does that actually mean if you work as a consultant within our premises? What kind of experience is that? And when we go a little bit to the technology side of it, when we actually want to digitalize many of the services and digital experience when you go into the office, how can we also bring that to life when you're coming as a customer or a visitor to our locations, right? So actually thinking at a little bit through and, and not just say, okay, this is the employees, but what does that actually mean? And you can say we are an extremely customer-focused organization, like most, of course. So it actually means a lot. So what does it actually mean when you come as a customer? And we have actually interviewed uh, customers to understand what they actually think about our offices and what kind of experience do they actually believe? Is it actually a good representation of us as a company? When they go into a, a meeting with us, what kind of feelings and uh, do they get of us? Uh, do they actually think that we are that innovative company that is really driving innovation and next generation of solutions and so on? And that has been a quite interesting journey to also understand it from a little bit more an external view as well. Definitely. I, I had attended like an interesting presentation as well, where it was a design company showing different office pictures of office designs. And then they asked in a poll what your emotions were about it. So I think there were like tag words like welcoming or innovative and these kind of things. And I think this kind of backfired because the audience never picked the attribute that they thought this represented because it's very much individual as well. But it's why it's so important to get that external feedback as well. Now you've kind of given it away. You are measuring the success of your workplace initiatives and the user experience. How do you do that besides satisfaction ratings and surveys? That's, I think, is a million dollar question. And again, I don't think I have a silver bullet here as such, but you can say the, and that goes a little bit and maybe uh, sounds like a broken record uh, almost, but we're actually identifying Yes, we have a lot of uh, ways of measuring it within real estate. Uh, HR also measuring it around the retention level, the turnover, and uh, and how attractive an employer we are. IT is also measuring a number of KPIs around the digital experience and so on. But what if we actually start having some shared KPIs that actually goes a little bit across so that we're not just measuring what the physical workplace is like or what a kind of experience it is because it will actually blend a lot with the digital experience as well, right? I don't think that I will work a lot from the office without having some kind of a digital experience uh, while I'm there. So we're actually looking, and and again, I don't have the, the final answer here, but we're looking to see how can we actually define common KPIs that actually goes across real estate, HR, and IT. Also making sure that we are pulling in the same right. When we actually have a little bit beyond this pandemic where we don't have workplace of the future programs with a lot of uh, attention from the uh, C-suite and so on, how do we actually make sure that we still work together as one unit literally, right? And actually have that user experience as our North Star in everything we do. And and that is something that we are discussing right now. And you can say within real estate, we of course also want to have uh, KPIs and way of measuring that goes a little bit beyond the square meter usage and uh, our cost, right? Because then we end up in discussions with the CFO all the time and say, okay, how can you 
you squeeze out even more and so on. We also want to have that dialogue with our chief real estate uh, or not chief uh, people officer or HR officer, right? Around how can we retain and attract talent and how can we brand ourselves as an attractive and employer as well. So we will see a change uh, there and we are working on establishing a number of baselines and KPIs that also go a little bit across. Yeah, well, I think the big advantage actually is of coming out of the silos of data and intertwining the available data sources and data points that you have is that you can truly grasp and understand and also what I think find the sweet spot of actually saying, well, yeah, we could maybe from requirements point of view, come down to 10 square meter per person. But then actually you see in this number, people are not going to like it. We will see losing of talent and actually productivity sinking down. So that's only something you can surface if you look at it and explore with it. Yeah, very much agree. But I think we can also really push the boundaries a little bit because you can say in this new context, that's something that I have at least picked up in a number of roundtables recently as well, right? That I think most companies or a lot of companies are at least right now launching and communicating around uh, hybrid work and so on. We have defined uh, 22 initiatives that they need to support hybrid work from a physical, virtual and people and cultural experience. And that is to support it. But we also came to the conclusion that IT will not be able to fund it if we only looked at it from an IT perspective. HR will not be able to also fund some of the changes here if only looked at it from an HR perspective. So we actually try to say, okay, how can we create a funding model here where we actually create a lot better experiences that goes across, a lot more technology, a a better digital experience and so on. But of course, we also a company where we need to make sure that we have a fairly efficient cost base, right? So it's not like that now we're just going out and invest and invest and invest in these 22-something projects. But when we look at it across, how can technology, for instance, how can we be digital first, first and most? So how can we reduce our travel? And that will, be, uh, of course, impact our carbon emissions super positive. And if you can actually create more or less the same experience by meeting in a digital way, we will, of course, still fly, uh, we will still travel and so on to meet each other in certain cases. But how can we become digital first so that we actually reduce our traveling, we reduce our carbon emission? Maybe we will also over time see that we actually need a little bit less footprint within real estate, but we need a lot better space. We need a lot more uh, digital tools and so on. And when we look at it a little bit more across, you can say we can actually fund that digital experience. We can actually fund a lot of uh, things by looking at it a little bit more across and not just from a real estate perspective, for instance. So I do also believe that in order to bring all of this to life, first of all, I believe that it's extremely important that we actually, within each company, define a number of support or success criteria. So we cannot just launch hybrid work without supporting hybrid work from the office, reimagining the, the office design and so on the digital experience and everything around it. So we need to have that view on it, right? And make sure that we are on top of it and and that we support it in the right way so that it's actually becoming a success to work in a hybrid world and not just go back to whatever we did in the office in the past, right? So quite a complex matter, if you ask me, and I don't, again, it will take time to really transform, but I think it is important that we, within each organization, actually define these initiatives that we know will actually support a new ways of working. I couldn't agree more. If you expect a solution right now, you're most likely going to fail. 
it's my opinion. Yeah, but what happened if you actually, and we have defined a number of personas that we are working with because we can also see from the research that we did that one size fits no one will not be a, a good way of doing this, right? Let's not be super rigid about whether it's two or three days. Let's empower the leaders and the teams to actually come up with the best way where they can actually work, where they can perform at their best and so on. And actually having, because that is flexible work. If we just create very rigid frameworks and the instructions around exactly how we should work in a hybrid work. And Sabine, you can go to the office Tuesday and, and Fridays and I can go to the office Monday and, and Wednesday. That's not flexibility. That's just work in a different way, but it's not flexibility, right? So uh, and we are creating chaos, let's be honest. We know that we are creating uh, chaos. We also know that we need to structure that chaos somehow. And we believe that especially the digital and technology will come in and really... Uh, make a difference here, right? And in, in when should you go into the office? Who are you actually collaborating most with? When are your team members uh, in the office? How can you automate many of these things? Because we don't want it to end up being just administratively nightmare, right? Where you where you need to spend a lot of time on figuring out when you should be in and when you should be home and so on. But how can we try to build a little bit of artificial intelligence and digital twin that we're actually working on that it can actually support you so that maybe you will actually be recommended and say, Miguel and Sabine, you have a meeting on Wednesday. Would you like that to be in person because you're actually both in the office? Then the digital twin will also uh, propose a space. We have this meeting room for you with video conference because we can see that you're connecting with someone sitting in Dallas, for instance. So this is the right equipment for you. So how can we also automate many of these technology solutions that are out there? And we have reviewed the market and, and there are a lot of technology that has also emerged as a part of the pandemic here, right? So it's going to be interesting to see uh, the development within this space as well, because I think that is the tool to manage and structure this chaos a little bit. Yeah, you have me deeply impressed by all the, the research and thought you've put into this, it sounds like a really cool place. I do want to be a user of your office when that is possible at some point. You are always <laughs> welcome when we are welcome into the office. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, you've mentioned before you are part of that whole initiative. I think you said there are 50 participants in the Workplace of the Future program. And you've come a long way already from what you've told today on what you found and what you're trying to implement or what you are implementing, actually. Can you share a bit of how you went about that exploration? How did that work? that process? Yeah, it was quite interesting because we, you can say as a company, and that I think is also important to mention, we could actually see that uh, when 85,000 of us have actually been working from home full-time since March in certain regions uh, a bit earlier as well. But we could actually see that we were able in the short term at least to really deliver. We could see that we actually achieved way better than our what we predicted and so on. So you can say quite early, we were connected when working from home. We had the technology we needed. We could work efficiently for home. And I think that also meant that the executive team actually could focus a little bit more, okay, what can we learn from this experience? And not necessarily just how do we cope with this uh, situation if we were not performing or if we were struggling quite a lot as a company. So I think that's important to mention that we got a quite good start because we could see that we performed as a company from the beginning. 
but we initiated the project and I'm leading that. And that was actually the first thing I was actually now, as I mentioned that I joined the company in April last year. And two weeks before that, I was actually received a phone call from the CFO, my manager, asking if I could kind of lead this because somehow they actually thought that it was a great advantage that I didn't know anything about our offices and our, our and where we were coming from. So I came a little bit with fresh eyes. And then I think I also mentioned that I have a management consultant background. So they saw that as a quite interesting profile to lead this workplace of the future. And you can say there in the beginning, we actually didn't exactly know what we were looking for, but we know that we wanted to put the employees in the center of whatever solution we came up with. And we then also wanted to have a very fact-based model so there's, there are a lot of opinions around this uh, topic. We can also see that if you go into LinkedIn or if you read the media and, and so on, right? A lot of opinions. I have to admit that not all of them are super fact-based as such. <laughs> so quite important at least to really build it on facts and not necessarily. I also have opinions around the topic. I also use myself as, a, as an example, for instance. So how can we kind of remove some of these biases and opinions and, and really focus around the facts? We did also believe, and to be honest, when, when we joined or we initiated in April, the announcement there was that we will return to the office uh, maybe after summer, 1st of August or something like that. So we, we thought that, okay, we are a little bit in a hurry here, right? Because we want to collect a lot of data of how it is actually to work from home while we are still working from home because we are returning to the office just after summer, right? And so we actually, uh, we've worked a lot with Leesman, for instance, and the survey there to understand how things were actually working and supported when working from the office, but also how the same activities, for instance, uh, supported uh, when working from home so that we actually had something to measure up against. And often when you also listen a little bit to some of the discussions, it's quite binary almost or black and white. Some are saying that it works really well to work from home or it works really well to work from the office, but we could see a slightly different pattern. We could actually see that certain activities were really well performed from the office and a lot better supported when compared to the office. We could also see that some of the more team activities, collaboration, being innovative, hosting customers and so on, were quite difficult to actually uh, translate virtually. So that got us a little bit curious and said, okay, does that apply to all or does it only apply to the average population of our company? So we did a number of interviews. We did a number of workshops around experiences and so on. And there we learned that, again, one size fits no one will not work. Whatever solutions that we are coming up with here, we need somehow we cannot come up with 110,000 different uh, solutions that we cannot manage, but how can we at least define some common patterns within the data that we looked into? And there we could actually see that we had five different persona profiles within our company. We have what we call the tethered, and that are profiles or, or personas, and these are not just based in our job roles. It's actually based on our job roles, the activities we perform, our work from home situation, and a number of other data input as well. But we could see that some actually had to work from the office in the future. Although 10-15% of the population, we still have some that actually need to be in the office. If you're a hardware engineer working with very special equipment, for instance, you actually need to do that in the office, at least for the time being, because you cannot do that from home. We also identified three different persona profiles that choose to go to the office. In principle, they can perform most of their work from home, but they choose to go to the office. And there we've got quite curious about why do they actually choose to go to the office? 
And we could see that one persona profile, for instance, choose to go to the office to perform certain activities. So a little bit to, again to the activities uh, we mentioned, they could see that certain activities work really well from home and they want to perform them from home in the future. But they could also see that some of the activities that they are performing actually work better from the office. So they would choose to go into the office to perform those activities. On the other end of the scale, we could actually see that a persona profile could actually work most and work uh, and were actually quite efficient when performing most activities from home. But they still choose to go to the office and they choose to go to the office mainly to socialize, collaborate and feel a part of something. I even think that we have a quote from one of our employees saying that I want to feel a part of something bigger than just sitting at home wearing my sweatpants. And I really like the quote because uh, I think some of us at least can maybe uh, recognize that a little bit when working from home for so long. right? And then we had the fifth persona profile that is a globalist who is actually working in a global team who is not necessarily tethered to the local office, but work most of their, their work they in teams or in more virtual settings. And there we could see that very different models and very different support needed for these personas. So for all of the initiatives, we have actually looked into the persona profiles. What does it actually mean that if you're a globalist and actually perform most of your work from home, what kind of technology do you need? What kind of home environment do you need? You need a desk, you need a proper economic workstation and so on. Whereas if you're the tethered, you are a little bit more focused around the office. How can we make sure that you have the right environment? And there are a lot of uh, discussions around that the office, of course, would be a lot more around socializing and coming together and collaborating and so on. And we very much share that view. But I think it's also important to remember the 10, 15% of our workforce that actually need to focus and do most of their work from the office. How can we also make sure that they have the right environment? So when we also looked, and now I'm getting a little bit closer to maybe what we think that the future office should be around. When introducing our personas, we could also see that the way that we are designing our offices, we cannot just have this McDonald concept where we have one concept that we are then rolling out. I often describe it as a box, where we then ask our employees to go into that box and adapt to whatever surroundings that we from real estate actually offer them. So how can we customize it a little bit more? So we looked again into the different persona profiles. We looked into their requirements. What kind of space types are they looking for? What kind of experiences are they looking for when they go into the office? And that actually means that we have developed a tool right now that is actually defining those persona breakdowns. So if I have a site in Madrid, uh, for instance, and we want to transform that, we actually launch a survey for that population based out of the office in Madrid. We get the persona breakdown and the persona breakdown will actually mean that we will see that the different space types that we will have in the office will actually depend on the different profiles and persona types that we have in the office. So if I have an office in Madrid that have a lot of these tethered personas that actually need to be in the office and to work and have three monitors and everything like that, we cannot just create a space where it's all around collaboration and socializing because that's what not what they need. So we need a little bit more focus space and we need a, a, a different space types that is actually performing there. Whereas if we have a sales office where they actually go into the office to host clients' uh, meetings and to really collaborate and coming together and so on. We actually want to have an environment that is a lot more around socializing and coming together and collaborating and hosting customers and so on. So we will see that, yes, we have our design concepts and so on, but we will actually be able to scale it up and down depending on what kind of population that we have within a given office. And I think that is something that I'm extremely excited about in the future, that we actually try to kind of customize it a little bit. And now Sabine, I'm talking and I'm talking here, so sorry for that. But when we look at a little bit historically, and I'm always super interested in that, but 
COVID real estate actually came to life when we needed to operate our factories, when we needed to be super productive and very operational, right? Then we saw a shift that, okay, how can we standardize the offices? How can we have an open uh, landscape model? It's the same brand. It's the same experience. It's the same everywhere, right? Very much focused on standardization. And I do actually believe that when we go a little bit into the future here, I think we will see a personalization of the offices. We will still have strong branding. We will still have a very strong feeling when you go into an EXN office, you need to feel that this is an EXN office and what kind of company we are. But I think we will see a lot more personalized workplaces as well. We are personalizing the way that we are working, right? We have a lot more flexibility to choose where to work from and when to work from and how to work from, a lot more output-based. Why not kind of uh, translate that into the solutions that and the employee experience as well, where we then say, okay, how can we also personalize the experience when you go into the office so you as an employee actually have the right environment to perform from? And sorry, that was a very long speech, but again, super excited around this theme. So um, No, I, I feel that excitement and I'm excited as well for this. And also, I mean, it's a podcast. We're here to talk. So Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> All good. Now, um, this approach that you just mentioned does go away from the traditional corporate real estate organization and how things were done in the past where it's pretty much this one-size-fits-all approach or a lot of let's say at least a lot of guidelines and central concepts that have been rolled out what do you think then are the new skill sets that need to be adopted in corporate real estate or need to be looped in somehow I love the question because I think that is what we're all asking ourselves around. Um, and you can say as a part of our reorg, we actually established a new unit and we look at it a little bit like a startup. We don't exactly know where it's going, but we know that we want to drive a lot more innovation. We want we know that we want to drive and understand our users a lot better. We want to better understand how the different teams are actually interacting and how can we support that also from a real estate perspective. So when we have created this unit, it is actually because that we want to attract and also uh, recruit uh, new competences. I will see within my unit within fairly short that we will actually begin to uh, include uh, all higher psychologists, anthropologists, data science scientists, and so on that can actually get a lot better understanding, not only about the presence and the utilization and everything around that super important measures, of course, but how can we better understand our users and how they actually work. Because all the research that we have done, we have done when we all work from home, but does it actually change a little bit when we can suddenly go back to the office? What actually happens to the dynamics when 50% of the team may work from the office? Do you have a little bit of a feeling of missing out? Uh, so you actually feel a little bit, or is your manager all the time in the office? So you also feel a little bit obliged. You actually would like to work a little bit more from home, but your manager is constantly in the office. So you also feel a little bit like you should be in the office. How does it all play out in the future? And how can we continue that level of exploration that we have had uh, over the past year that we actually want to better understand our users and how we can support that. So I very much believe that, of course, we will still have a lot of designers and we will have a lot of uh, real estate uh, people, absolutely. But I think we will see some complete new skill sets needed within real estate to really get that understanding of our users um, in principle and how they interact with space and how they interact and what kind of experiences are they looking for and, and so on. So uh, quite interesting to see uh, how that all plays out but that's at least how we, we look at it and then we want to have it in this startup experiment and really experiment and see where it's taking us right and sometimes we will fail and sometimes we will 
hopefully also succeed a little bit and, uh, <laughs> and then we can scale up as we see fit. Definitely. Do you have, from what you've gone through already, then a lesson learned that you can share? I mean, you said before you don't have the silver bullet yet, but maybe some <laughs> something. Yeah, no, I, it's very, I have also asked myself that question a few times if we had to redo this uh, all over again, uh, will we do anything different and so on? But I think a few key learnings, I think, first of all, I have mentioned it uh, a bunch of times, work together across units. Let's not just It would be impossible if I from real estate should only lift this or if someone from HR should lift it or from IT and so on. Create that common understanding and philosophy and vision where you really work together and come together and succeed together. So that is, I think, by far the best advice that I could give anyone. Then I think the second one is no one are the same, right? But you hear a lot around in the media around what company A and company B are doing and so on and what they think about the future and so on. But no companies are the same, right? So have a lot of uh, research, base the decision on facts. There are a lot of opinions and we all see that when we engage with stakeholders and so on, that all everyone has an understanding or at least an opinion around this topic. I saw some stats that within the Fortune 500 companies, the future workplace is top five on the topics that is the CEOs are focusing on at the moment, right? So we have a lot of attention and so on, but we need to base it on facts and solid research and not just opinions and what others are doing. I think that's extremely important. Now I'm taking it to the exact opposite. I'm granting you a magical wish If you could solve any workplace problem or user experience problem using the term, what would it be? No, I think we're all a little bit concerned that will people actually go back <laughs> to the office, right? <laughs> Have they enjoyed uh, working so much uh, the past 14 months that we almost need to make pancakes or something like that in order to pull them back? Uh, maybe we need that. Maybe that is a good idea. But I think the experience is going to be key for all of us. And then I think... And that has been the case all the time. And I don't necessarily think that the pandemic has changed anything there. But being a, a real estate, and I think all my peers can recognize that, we are balancing dilemmas, right? On one hand, we have the CFO who wants us to be more efficient and running more efficient portfolios and so on and so on. That's good. On the other hand, we also have the chief HR officer and the CEO sometimes also that really want best class offices and experiences and really want to attract and retain talent and so on. And I hope if I have a magical wish here that, yes, we can operate efficient portfolio. And yes, we can actually create a world-class experience where people really want to go into the office. They want to come together and they want to be together because I at least find it. And that's also what our research uh, tells us, that being innovative and creative and sense of belonging and so on, that is more difficult to do remote. And you can say 14 months has felt a little bit like a very long time, but in principle, it is a fairly short period. What actually happens if we have to work from home five years? What does it actually mean to our sense of belonging, our ability to innovate and be creative together and so on, where we actually come together and brainstorm? So I hope that we play a key role in that from a real estate perspective. And I do believe that we do that. I think we have, and I think that's at least also what we see within HR, right? That they have actually discovered how much impact we can make from a real estate perspective, how much 
buzz we can create around being an attractive employer. And we know when we ask our employees around the impact or the importance of the workplace, they all answer that it is super important for all of them, right? So that's maybe my wish. And now this was a long way to get there. But my wish is perhaps that we are also, I know that we are doing a great job. I know a lot of organizations are doing a great job with their workplaces, but that we also get a little bit better in actually showing some of the more intangible impact that we make on a daily basis. Um, and I hope that we are better in somehow trying to visualize that and quantify it and communicate around it and that we're able to do that. That's my magical wish. Sabine. Mm. And that's a very good one. I think for today, you definitely accomplished your mission. I'm very excited about the workplace experience at Ericsson and really curious of what you're going to do next and see then in the employees' feedback as well. So thank you very much, Mikkel. I'd close it here. I think there could be no better ending than this magical wish. No, I very much agree. And thank you for inviting me. Thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Workplace Leader, there's more. Go visit our blog and have a look at some of the other topics we have covered. Or tune into our next episode of The Workplace Leader.